Well, hey guys, welcome back to the After Hours Podcast here at Midwest Whitetail, episode three coming your way. And for everybody who took the time to listen to episode two last week with Gavin's story, we are happy to announce that that deer is alive. He has shown back up on camera for Gavin. And as you can probably tell behind me, we got a lot of rain. There's a huge change hitting the Midwest right now. And with the pre-rut coming, the timing couldn't be more perfect. That's what episode three is all about. We're gonna dive into the tactics that the guys are gonna be implementing over the next few days. As this pre-rut continues to ramp up, we've got the weather change. So hopefully there's some tips in there that you can take something away from for your hunting and best of luck if you're gonna be hitting the woods. We appreciate you guys joining. Let's jump to the podcast now. All right, well, welcome to episode three of the After Hours Podcast here with Midwest Whitetail. We are joined by some special guests this evening. We got Chad Holmes, who I believe is residing in Kansas, just made the long trip up there for his rutcation. Got Zach Rosmus, Caleb Griner, and then Evan Williams from formerly Hoy Bow Hunting, but now is the head of Gopher Creations Management, whatever that is. So we're excited <laughs> to hear your new ventures. Well, you got to have fun today's with titles. Podcast, yeah, no, that's a good one, man. Uh, today, what we're trying to cover, everybody on here is going to be heading out to the woods. And if you're anywhere in the Midwest, you know that there is a major cold front barreling towards every state. And it is the perfect time of the year. As I mentioned, a lot of rutcations starting. So really what we're trying to accomplish with this one is dive into the minds of the guys, what bucks they're hunting, get some updates, and hopefully some tips and tricks that you can apply to your hunting this coming weekend. So where do we want to start, guys? Um, be cool before we dive into those tips. Everybody just kind of start with what deer you're after, how things have been, and we'll go from there. So somebody kick it off. I want to hear how Caleb's been doing. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, things have been obviously a little shaky so far. Uh, in complete transparency, I'm running probably 40 cameras right now, you guys, and I normally have a lot of mature deer right now, but... I've only got two deer um, that are consistent on a week-to-week -week basis, and it's this Vendetta deer and uh, that guards deer that we were chasing for Steve. That EHD just really wiped out the area, and seems like seems like a seventy percent kill, which just is terrible for for hunting. So it's been a little tough, but you know we still got a couple bucks that we're trying to get after and. With this cold front that are that's coming i know of a couple of those that are still alive in the areas that i'm hunting so probably just going to try targeting wherever those does are that seems to work for me in the past at least for late october conditions yeah yeah 40 cameras i mean to some folks might seem like an absurd amount but one of the things i think is important to note is caleb often makes trips about three hours one way you know, so that MRI, especially for you, it's funny. It's like you hunt your home state, but you might as well be like Chad and Evan, the road warrior, you know, so where that MRI comes into play is very important, you know, to balance work <clears throat> or going hunting. So, um, here's, here's, a, here's, a good, here's a good stat. Sorry to cut you off, Josh. I've got all no, those cameras. I'm getting 12 photos of deer a day. <laughs> Jeez. Hey, not uh, <laughs> Caleb, most of this, these are these uh, permission farms that are like uh, th these draws through these ag fields, kind of what you've 
uh, focused on not a lot of cover same farms you've been on or new farms or yeah so it, it all started with with that smaller area the the more flat um, terrain that I'm hunting which is completely different for me but I still ran cameras on a couple of those permission farms that you know you always got good deer on every year so you got to run cameras on those and I mean after I found OG dead in that creek I had to think man what other targets that are still missing that are normally here by now where have they been so out of curiosity i went and started walking other farms and every single farm that i walked had dead deer in the creek no kidding man that's mm. i'm not that far from some of the places you hunt but um yeah i haven't actually found any um i know zach zach could probably allude to some of the what you're hearing around the, the, the area. Yeah. <clears throat> and obviously uh, what I do professionally, I get a lot of calls on stuff like that, you know, just individuals reaching out with, to me with like photos and a lot of times questions, you know, type of thing too. Cause Caleb and I have talked several times cause a lot of the farms that we're hunting are pretty close proximity to each other too. And you're always wanting to know what the, the pulse is. Cause if, if Caleb is finding it, is it the same on farms that I'm hunting, you know, type of thing too. Um, but even in some of the Northern areas of, you know, the counties that we're hunting in, I was hearing hundred numbers, you know, type of thing that people were throwing around that they located on their farms, you know, type of thing that some, a guy was saying essentially that they, they own roughly 1200 acres and he got out and got boots on the ground and found 300 some deer, you know, that were dead, um, wow. which, that's which insane. I haven't, you know, that's crazy to hear those types of numbers, you know, type of thing. But if you think back to it's feeling a lot like 2012 did, you know, if you remember if you had friends that had, that were really affected or families that were really affected, like it feels like that. I think the thing that's really different though, is that Caleb and I talked about this the other day is that it's just so much later for us to be right. still working through EHD. Mm -hmm. And this was like pure speculation when him and I were talking the other day, but if we think back to like what August was this year in Iowa specifically and in the Midwest, like we had two weeks where we just had substantial rainfall, you know, where that's not typical that we're dealing with that, where we had two weeks where we almost had almost had like 15 inches of rain, you know, in some areas <laughs> where uh, essentially if you had the drought conditions where we had dry creek beds that went suddenly to be at capacity, if not overflowing for a short period of time to dry again, where that just gave those midges the opportunity to do another late hatch potentially where, you know, typically when we're thinking EHD, it's July, August, and early September that we're finding them, right? We're not really thinking hard horn, you know, type scenarios where it's hunting season and we're locating deer that have literally just died days before or, you know, maybe even hours before where we're getting out there. It just seems odd to be going through that process. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty strange. No, I, I mean, I... I <sighs> I had one in, in the summer, uh, the neighbor had a couple in the pond and I thought it's a year for it. I mean, it was so dry. And you think about this, the ponds drying up and the exposed banks of the mud and the mid and all this. And then, you know, you think of bucks being uh, at risk with all their velvet, e easy vascularity right. for the midge to bite and spread the virus and all this kind of thing. And then when Caleb started finding it, I just had another buddy of mine say they were tracking a buck. They shot a buck. And he's texting me saying, are you guys seeing EHD? He's like, we're tracking a buck through one farm and we found seven dead deer. And it's a little yeah. 200 acre farm, you know, and this is in uh, Northern Iowa. Um, and I mean, I, I think it's pretty odd. I think the, the interesting thing about the water coming and maybe allowing the hatch and then having it late, um, 
obviously the, the, mm. the virus can be spread through other bite marks other than velvet, obviously, but right. I don't know. I, so, I have not found much on the river farm, but we're pretty sandy right there. So we don't mm -hmm. have as much yeah. midge opportunity. Well, and I think one of the differences though, too, is that I think that one of the things is that during Iowa's gun season, that's when you're going to get more boots on the ground and you'll probably get a pretty good read on how many actual dead deer are actually out there. And then like yeah. Caleb and I were talking that we spend a lot of time in the, you know, in the spring doing shed season, you know, type of thing too, where that's, that's unfortunately when we're going to locate a really large number of these deer, you know, type of thing where, I mean, pretty much if you locate them near a water source of some regard, you know, you can pretty much chalk it up to EHD, you know, at that point in time. Um, mm, yeah. So I, I, off here, I was going to say, before we get too far steering away from like how and why is this happening? I mean, certainly not my intellectual property, you know, last year, Mark Drury on his property was worried about it and still worried about this year. I was talking to him and, one of the things, because I had asked him about, you know, this situation last year, like, why would you, why are you still worried about deer dying? And last year was they survived the summer. He expected all of them to die after the winter because his worry was that they were infected. They survived it. And then they were going to run themselves down. And so, you know, over by you guys specifically, what I, what came to my mind was maybe they were all infected in that initial round, you know, like you guys had alluded to. Maybe that infection occurred when we thought, but then if you remember right before, what was it? Youth season, I think we had that sustained week of like reintroduced hundred degree weather. And I wonder if that just wasn't kind of the final, you know, acts to already compromised animals, because it really wouldn't make sense that that biting fly would still be prevalent into September and October. And you, you talk about EHD and how quickly it, can turn for the worse. I mean, what was it? Seven days, Caleb deer was alive and then dead. Yeah. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that too, because I found deer that were dead two days prior that I knew were alive and some that had obviously been dead for a month or so. Yeah. So I, it just makes you wonder if like the initial infection occurred and certain deer weathered it better. And, you know, you can only throw so much at them. And then something occurs. I'm, I'm not saying that's what it is, but that was a food for thought that he had proposed to me. And, you know, cause the question is, is like, when were they infected? You know, whatever, but either way, yeah, not and, a great update. And I, and, I would, and I would agree with that, you know, to an extent too, because I mean, they're coming into especially a part of the season too, where ideally they're going to be in peak, you know, stamina peak, you know, weight when they're coming into the rut, especially if it's a buck, because they're going to be doing a lot of running, you know, during this time, you know, too, and building up food reserves to get through to winter, you know, that's always a part of it. So, cause there's always going to be a percentage of the population that's going to, you know, either get infected and, and make it through it, or maybe they just don't show a lot of symptoms, no different than any type of virus, you know, like when it comes down to it, cause that's, that's a really hard thing to think about in the long term, like right now too. But, uh, you know, one of the things that came out of like 2012, too, is that you saw some guys that killed some really, really big deer in the following years after that, because the pressure on the deer herd was a lot different. Because one of the things that we're talking about right now is that we're complaining about some of our deer numbers being down when we're also spoiled to have some of the best deer numbers in the Midwest when it comes down to numbers or what we're accustomed to dealing with, you know, type of thing, too. So, um don't don't get me wrong like it stinks to go through it in the short term you know type of thing too and to be able to find them like that i mean that's difficult to be able but mother nature always has a way of leveling the playing field a little bit when it comes down to it that's right yeah well 
Yeah, Caleb, I hope uh, yeah. I hope I hope you got one. You know, I hope one shows up and you, you're in a tree and they come run by you, man. I won't be in a tree. I'll be hunting them, Evan Evan Williams style. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I love it. It's even better. Is that a ground pounder? How's that work? <laughs> Bowie knife. Bowie knife. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, Caleb, solid update. Now, one thing that I would pose to you guys before we get off of Caleb's subject. Do you think that this is going to help or hurt his season? You know, from the standpoint, he's not just finding dead bucks. He's finding a lot of dead does. Do you think that that's going to increase the daylight activity searching that he might be able to experience? You know, like we talked about maybe his lockdown phase might be non-existent with the amount of does that he's found dead. Factual, not correct. Think they're going to go somewhere else. I mean, my, my personal, yeah, go ahead, Evan. And, you know, I know Iowa and Kansas are are completely different as far as the amount of ag to open areas and and hardwoods. So what I typically see is those bucks are having to move greater ranges to find does. So now that he's losing that doe population, you know, a lot of times, you know, guys talk about, you know, a buck moving a mile or having that, that core area of, you know, a 640 acres or something like that. You know, Josh, you and I were talking earlier today. I literally, a couple of years ago, my brother and I were hunting a buck and we went like six or seven days without getting him on our cameras. The last night that we hunted him on that property, driving home, we found him six and a half miles away from that spot. So I, I think, I think those bucks are going to move more. I think they're going to cover more distance. And the other thing is, are they going to stay around that property or are they going to go away? And when they find those doe hotspots, are they going to make their way back? How, how far are they going to have to go to find those, those central core areas that those are now using? And is there enough does there to keep him? Or is it going to be more like a, a mature elk where he runs in and, you know, a satellite's got him rounded up and there's a core pocket of them. That mature buck comes through, checks them, breeds one or two, and then moves right on. Yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to follow along with for sure. I think I'm interesting. Gonna, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was gonna say that. I mean, I would. To me, the concept of sort of the rut and, and whitetails and lockdown is about sex ratio, and so you know, if you lost an equal number of does and bucks, then you know maybe it's it's these few bucks have these few does, and you don't necessarily see that, but if you've got your one mature one that you're looking for, and there's only a couple of does left, I think you see what you know, what Josh and Evan were talking about where those does get bred and they got to go for a hike, you know, and they're going to be covering some, uh, covering some ground. Yeah. It's going to be, I'm going to take a little different approach on this, Josh. I'm going to take a little different approach on this where I'm going to talk about Caleb specifically. Cause one of the things I've always appreciated about him is he's going to cast a wide net, you know? So one of the things I think that uh, I have no doubt about it is that, you know, he's done a really good job of acquiring areas that he has permission to access in different areas too, because one of the things with EHD too is a lot of those drought maps, you could follow that and it's going to be pretty similar to what the EHD maps might be, you know, type of thing for what the drought conditions were. And Caleb's crafty, you know, I know that he's going to put in the time, you know, type of thing too. So Ultimately, it's just going to be wherever that intel is telling him to be, you know, type of thing. There's going to be farms where maybe you have in your head that, hey, I'm going to be chasing, 
OG on this farm. That's going to be the exclusive farm I'm going to hunt this year. But I feel like he does a really good job of wherever that target buck is, that's where he's going to be hunting and spending his time. So it just is oh, yeah. maybe sending you back to the drawing board and telling you, hey, what you had in your mind you thought was going to be your plan this year, it's out the window, you know, type of thing. How do we go back to the drawing board and figure out what I need to make my next step to be? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty much the polar opposite of the Hog Jr. chase. Yep. I mean, the polar opposite. So yeah. if you guys want to follow along with that, daily blog, Caleb Griner, he's going to be in the woods, whether that's walking or hunting. I know we're going to continue to get updates from him, but keeping things moving. Mike, Zach, what you guys got for the next week? Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, so uh, I'm definitely going to be taking – I'm fortunate that I can be flexible with my schedule. You know, I exaggerated what my deercation will be a little bit earlier today, some of the guys. But uh, I'm going to I'm gonna take some days here coming up. The weather's too good this weekend for you. If, you, if anyone has availability to take uh, deercation, rutcation, whatever it might be, to me, I would be putting a lot of eggs in this weekend's basket, you know, like when it comes down to it. Even if you can take one day on Friday or two days on Monday, Tuesday with this cold front, I I think that overall, like the month of October, we've had relatively good weather, you know, like if you look across the whole thing, you know, we maybe yeah, we haven't sure. had like, we haven't had like really concentrated like you know, we had that first really good cold front early on in October. And then like we had a subtle one after that, you know, so maybe we didn't have as many like really, really good ones like we typically have. But I think for as good as the conditions have been, I think the hunting has been like pretty slow in my opinion, in my opinion, for like just general buck activity, because really when I'm thinking back, I've hunted pretty hard and the really only mature buck encounter I've had was on the first night I hunted and it was 97 degrees, you know, how, you know, type of thing. So, um, I think this weekend I'm going to really concentrate on areas where, um, that transition to the food. Cause, uh, down in area 52, we just picked the corn yesterday. So I think that that's going to be something I hit on, you know, here in the next couple of days is that, they're going to be hitting that, that uh, waste grain on the ground pretty hard, you know, type of thing. And if I get the does out there, you know, this time of the year, the bucks are going to be out there uh, trying to get that pecking order established coming in then October. And, and I, I, I feel like end October is the best hunting in the entire season. I love it. You can be aggressive with your calling, you know, do things a little bit differently. And uh, before they disperse in the month of November where who knows where they're going to be, you know, once things get crazy. So, yeah. Now, building off your comment about the month of October, I, I feel like maybe the way I look at it is it was very consistent, okay weather. Right. And if yep. you think back, like last year, it was pretty hot, and then boom, big cold front. And there's just so much change right. and variation in the weather. Yeah, and I mean, even that's exactly right. right. You know, you talk about, or we're going to get to it, I should say, I already talked to Mike about this, but, you know, tonight may not have been the best nights or the best of the upcoming days, but like, Mike's going to dive into an incredible hunt that you just had. And it was just enough change. And, you know, right now, what is it? We're talking the 25th by tomorrow and, or excuse me, by Friday, we go from southerly winds, low pressure, all the way to swinging to north winds and potential for snow this weekend. And so that, you know, I guess to your point, Zach, like we have a very large change. It's not just a good weather front. I mean, it's been stagnant south doing all the polar opposites lining up with pre-rut behavior. You know, I know I've seen you, Mike, Caleb, everybody on this call, especially in the Midwest where deer are callable, 
that aggression is going to take a huge peak and the does are still not a non-factor to an extent. I mean, obviously you get the first hot does, but the boys are going to be feeling it, but there's not going to be anything to, to go after yet, except a, a bow and arrow, hopefully. I just, yeah. I just feel like we're always talking about how like the, you know, the season's like a slow climb, like a roller coaster, you know, but it just felt like this October has just been like, you're just right at that bottom and it just never made that climb, you know, type of thing where like mm-hmm. now it just feels like all of a sudden you're just going to be without the climb. You're just going to hit the drop off, you know, where it's just going to get crazy, like really, really yeah. quickly. Whereas just, that's- I don't know, that's just been my experience, you know, this October where it just seems like you haven't had as many of those hunts where it's like, you know, Hey, there's a good three or four year old out here. That's getting frisky early, you know, type of thing, you know, getting ramped up for his first rut, you know, type of thing. It just doesn't seem like we've had as much of that. And that's just been my experience so far, but I just really think that this weekend's going to be the real big change that we've all been looking for. It's got the yeah, recipe. That's for sure. way, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I think one of the interesting things about this October is, um, I mean, I don't know. I think I made 10, 12 hunts or something like that. And almost every hunt was a Northwest wind. And so one of the things that gets the deer moving is these changes, whether they're changing to warm or to cold, like you just, you need the changes. And we got that cold front and it's like, we had a lot of North winds and we had highs in the sixties and like, it wasn't like a super hot October, but it just sort of came and then just stayed. And so then it just, Mm -hmm. it was, it wasn't super exciting um and then we have a little bit of variations in it and uh you know but now we're now we're timing up a huge weather change with the shortening days and the end of october and the the rut looming and uh i just started my my time off so i took today off tomorrow off i have friday afternoon off and saturday sunday monday and so i've got a little six day stretch i always love to focus on the end of october i love that sort of pre-rut early rut uh callability these these mature bucks, the first does coming in, the homebody bucks that are like, you know, they're really looking hard. And it's interesting. I've hunted two mornings this week. A few days ago, I hunted a morning, had a great hunt, had uh, saw three, four-year-olds uh, in the pinch on the river farm. So it's a, it's a good spot. But that first hour was super intense. I mean, does, bucks, grunting, nudging, not just the little young ones. And I thought, oh, good. It's nice to see signs of this. And that day was nice because we had like a little a little pressure change. We went north, uh, north wind to south wind, and the very next morning goes back to north. And so there was a little bit of variation there that seemed to get them excited. Right now, we're in the low, low pressure, high mm-hmm. of 70. It's hot. It's humid. It, it, it doesn't feel good at all. And you you look at the the data and you say, well, today is going to be terrible, but we still have those, that end of October shortening days. And, you know, Ryan and I were heading out to the farm this morning. I'm like, look, I took the day off. We're going to sit in the tree, right? <laughs> you're going to go, you're going to go hunt. And so, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I got to commit to my days off and I'm like, whether it's range, lightning, thunder, whatever, right? knows we're going. And I'm driving over to the farm this morning in the dark and all of a sudden, a mature buck chases uh, a group of does across the road in front of me. Now we're probably six, seven miles from the farm, but it's cut corn, a lot of deer out in the fields. And it was a, it was a really nice uh, buck just running does around. I go like three miles down the road, another one. And I'm like, man, that's interesting. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's 62 degrees as a low and it's drizzling and it's hot. And so we got in the stand this morning and I went, um, 
I went. A I, I creeped up the slough a little bit into the edge of the bedding, in what we call the head of the slough. Had a lot of great sits there over the years, and I thought, you know, October twenty fifth, we're going to go in there. And I mean, we had an hour and a half of nonstop activity. Um, right as soon as it started getting daylight, we had this buck I call Moss, which I haven't at four. It's possible he could be a five year old, but um, we ended up having six bucks come in. There were four does running around, grunting, chasing, bucks sparring, moss running every young buck off. You know, I was like, is this November? What's going on? I mean, I said to yeah. I said to Ryan multiple times, like, this does not make sense. I mean, it's 62 degrees, it's hot and muggy. And this buck's just like, where's the first one? Where is the first doe? Yeah. And uh, you could tell that they were excited about that. What were you going to say, Josh? I was going to say, before we move forward, you know, you mentioned you made a couple morning hunts. I think it would be interesting for maybe somebody – who doesn't know what the pinch is or the head of the slough, what makes yeah. those good morning mm -hmm. sets? Why do you feel comfortable going in, in October? You know, just, yeah. like I said, sure. it's a pretty unique spot. So it is, it's, it's, and I, it makes it sound like I'm diving into some big sanctuary, but actually both of these sets, they're right on the edge of the uh, major bedding area in river bottom ground. And uh, the pinch is unique in that it, it literally is a pinch. So between the slough and the river, and it's an open oak flat, but that leads into the bedding area. And all these deer that work their way off to the north to the ag fields at night, I can go in there. And the first, I can go in there, there's no deer in there, right? They're all still out in the ag. So I get in there in the dark, it's easy to get in. I don't have to disturb very much. I'm literally a hundred yards off the edge of like my mowed lanes. And then the sun starts coming up and here they come. And it's like an, it, the first hour and a half is just steady. You, you'll have 20, 20 to 30 deer walk by you. You know, and you're just mixing, of course, bucks and does right in this area where there's food, there's acorns. It's, it's a pinch area. Really, really good. I don't hunt the pinch in the morning on the south because the deer come from the north. And so I move 300 yards over. Um, I have access through a slough. I blow my wind back up the slough. And so at least I'm just canceling kind of one area with ground scent and with my wind. And I can see this is at the neck of the peninsula. And so I've got a hundred acre peninsula that's all bedding. And when I'm sitting in this stand, if I look to the north, I can see the river. And I look to the south, I can see the river. And actually that wind and rain last night knocked a lot of foliage off the trees. So the visibility this time of year is normally pretty tough. But the wind last night, we could see really well. And... Uh, you know, it's just constant movement actually all morning because they come in there, they bed, and then they'll get up and they'll, they'll, they'll forage around. There's some oak trees in there and they'll kind of walk around and the bucks are looking around kind of nudging. I mean, it's not full rut stuff, but it's, it was enough activity that it got me excited for what's this weekend going to be like because mm -hmm. we have poor conditions now, October 25th, and you're seeing them feeling it. And then we have this huge temperature change coming high in the 40s to tie up at the to line up with the end of October. It's super exciting. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of bucks are going to die. Um, yeah, it's just really looking forward to it. Absolutely, I think a big takeaway there for me, just listening, is okay. You're along the edge of a bedding area. You can get in there clean, but the most important part of that, especially not doing an all day sit, is that it's kind of the perfect setup where they are still going somewhere else that allows you to get out. Because I remember yeah. when I was, you know, younger. Um, that was my biggest mistake is I'd always want to get into a good morning spot and then I'd have to get out and then I'm blowing out everything on the, on the exit. And so 
you know, yeah. I just try to think like, how could somebody who's listening to this take, you know, your setup and apply it to their property? And, you know, I think there was some really good information in there. So, yeah, um, entry exit is, is, is obviously super important. We talk about it a lot. And actually, we were in the tree this morning and Rye was looking around saying, what about that tree or that tree? I said, the reason I'm in this tree is because it's at the edge of the slough. And th this property is a wetland, so there's no topography. The mm -hmm. thing is flat and like it's all grass. And so, yeah, you have some visual barrier horizontally to the deer, but I mean, it's, it's, it's risky walking around the thing in the daylight. You can, you can get seen. And so just dropping down, it's four to six feet down. We can get in and out of there and nothing can see, even if they're bedded. In fact, I've walked by a lot of bedded deer uh, before. And so that little bit of uh, topography helps me a lot, but entry and exit. I mean, it's the reason I'm in that tree is so that I can get out. Like you mentioned at the end of the hunt and not be blowing it up. I can come back and hunt the afternoon a couple hundred yards away and catch them coming back out and it works great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, certainly excited to, to follow along with Zach and Mike, like I mentioned on Caleb, you know, there's a daily blog going to be some really exciting stuff and I'm excited to see tonight's hunt uh, that you haven't talked about that yet. Um, was it the yeah. afternoon? I guess maybe it was the morning you were talking about. <laughs> Actually both on. So, so um, this afternoon I was like, let's just go. It, it, it's hot. It's 72 degrees. It's, it's um, I don't want to burn up all of the spots I'm hunting DK. And so we moved over deeper into the farm at an area that butts up against another big bedding area. There's oak trees, there's a little green food plot, and I can see a lot of country. And um, I had some work to do midday today and some things that I couldn't get in there super early. So that was another reason we weren't going to go into one of the main spots. But so, you know, 20 there this morning, chasing, running around, great morning hunt. And then um, this afternoon, we sneak in a different slough up the edge, get in this oak tree. And from the second, I mean, Rise climbed the ladder. I said, doe coming. He stops on the ladder. She walks by. He gets in the tree. And, like, we just quietly set up. And before we're set up, we've had eight uh, does and fawns come under us. And it was constant all night long, does and fawns eating acorns looking around, not a lot of buck activity right under us, but you felt like, I mean, there's so many does right here any minute. Uh, one of these bucks is going to come and just bust it all up. But I could look 200 yards over and see a cut cornfield. And we had 12 or 14 deer in there. And we had a big mature eight pointer come out in there and just harassing the does. And I'm like, man, for again, these conditions, seeing that kind of activity, it uh, gets me pretty excited for what's coming. That's awesome. It was a great well, day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Midwest Whitetail Daily Channel, you know, we can't stress that enough. If you're wanting the most up-to-date offering of what we can bring, that's where it's going to be. And I know there's going to be some exciting hunts coming up over this next week. But, Chad, you are quite a few miles to the west of us here in Iowa. Everything's happening pretty much a day earlier for you. If I'm not mistaken, you're kind of on that day of change right now. Rain going through and got some big bucks you're out on the same property that bella was able to shoot her first out-of-state deer earlier in the season what drove you to make the overnight crazy trip all the way from mississippi to kansas yeah it kind of goes back to what uh, mike was saying you know we started seeing on the cutty backs you know the, the bucks were coming in you'd have a group of does in there feeding and they'd be pushing them and bumping them so you kind of knew they were feeling a little frisky so uh Knowing that front was pushing in, we thought it'd just be a good opportunity to 
to get in here and take a chance on, uh, you know, trying to go ahead and get a tag field. We have a new buck showed up there. He's, um, he's a, you know, basically a five by six, and he's got a, a little unicorn point that showed up, and uh, he's staying in there, same general area that Bucky's is in, and so just a lot of, lot of more, you know, a lot more activity than we what we had been seeing as far as, you know, consistency go. Like, you know, previously they'd be coming in, you know, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning, and they're gone. Well, now we're seeing them eight o'clock at night, three o'clock in the morning, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And so they're constantly making their, their rounds back through there two or three times. So I kind of, you know, kind of got an, a hunch that we probably ought to try to slip on in here and get set up. And we set up tonight uh, pretty close to where Bella killed her deer. And, um, you know, we did see a, a nice three-year-old and he was, he was pushing some does around and so I think, uh, like the like you know, just to echo what the other guys have said, you know, I think you get into Friday and Saturday, and possibly Sunday they're calling for a chance of snow here as well. You know, I think uh, we're gonna have a good chance of, you know, having some some pretty good encounters. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm very excited to hear the updates as they come in. But, um, Evan, first off, you changed jobs on us, so that's you're just <laughs> you know you're. You're a trick of the trade, man. That's great. Now we're very excited to have Evan. I got to keep people on their toes. Yeah, no, just, uh, we're very excited to have Evan with us on the podcast. You know, he does a million things, uh, over there at Hoyt archery and we wanted to have him on because he is also about to start his vacation, uh, going out to Kansas, if I'm not mistaken, potentially going to link up with Chad, but going to bring a different perspective. You know, you come from all the way in Utah, grew up in Mm -hmm. the Plains region. So, you kind of heard what these guys are going to be focusing on. If you are going to Kansas, totally different terrain. How are you going to be tackling this next week? Well, the hard part is I know I got a red moon coming up and with this cold front coming in, I've got no cameras out. Um, I'm still making phone calls, trying to get permission. Um, so I'm going in as blind as blind can be. Um, the benefit that I've got right now is my camp is usually myself, my brother, my sister-in-law, my niece, and then two of my buddies from Colorado. I'm the only one who's got tagged. So <laughs> I've got... Um, That's a lot of my, eyes. A lot of eyes. Yeah, my, <laughs> um, the, the, the benefit, too, is because of that, I've got access to all this ground that I typically haven't hunted before. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the areas I'm going to be hunting, I personally haven't accessed in almost 10 years because there's been so many of us. I physically stayed away from a lot of these properties and put my focus on either mule deer or hunting public land, trying to give everybody else better opportunities. Um, I get to do a little bit more hunting than them. So, you know, if I can, if I can fill a Western tag here or there, I got meat in the freezer. And so, you know, I'll go play around for a week on public ground and you know, roll the dice the way it is. So with Kansas changing a lot of their laws this year, no game cameras and no baiting on public land. Um, have been able to bait before, but no trail cameras at all on private or on uh, public is one of the new regs. So kind of levels of playing field. I've got, I've got two or three good public pieces, um, but I've got another guy that I know that's coming down. We just linked up on social media a little bit ago. So I'm helping him out, trying to kind of gain him some, some perspective on what those properties are going to look like. But 
we should be rolling in just ahead of this cold front. So my plan is when we get in Saturday afternoon, I've got about 20 cameras. I got to go get out in a real, real short period of time. And then Sunday, Monday, Tuesday will be a lot of observation sits. I need to figure out what properties are holding deer. It's been super dry, just like everywhere else. Um, but I don't even know what kind of ag I've had on properties. Um, one of my spots last year was corn. I'm assuming in the rotation, he's probably got beans in there. So if those are out, it's not going to be a good food source, in my opinion, for what I've seen in there in the past. I don't know that a lot of the neighbors around there were going to have corn in. So um, some of the new stuff I've got. Uh, one of them is about a mile from my folks' place. It's got a really, really good looking inside corner right in the middle of the pinch. So I believe that should have had corn on it this year. So um, probably put a put a cutty back out in that area and just kind of see what's going on in there. Um, but the first first four or five days, I, I don't know how I'm going to approach it because I've got more access than I've had before. And my ground is anywhere from an hour and a half west of my folks to an hour east. So I've got a lot of room, kind of like Caleb, where I got a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll kind of focus on the first five days with this cold front around home. And then the plan is to get down to Chad and then I'm going to show him how to decoy deer and get, <laughs> get on the ground and go have some fun. Yeah. So, I want to see that. But that'll be awesome. Yeah. I've seen so. some of those hunts you guys put out, you and Danny. It looks, uh, it looks intense to say the least. I'll tell you what you get again. It's, it's a lot like elk or turkey hunting. You get the right animal in the right mood and the right state of mind you better be committing that you're going to shoot him. Otherwise you need to drop that decoy and hit the dirt and <laughs> let him walk off or you're going to be shooting an animal in self-defense. No, it's pretty sweet to hear all the different variations. I don't have much of an update. I will, I'm actually going to be able to go spend a week with my buddy, Brian in a tree. He's coming all the way up from Georgia, drew a tag and we're going to be traversing Iowa public land. So um, if I was out, I would be doing pretty much what all of you guys are, which is just taking advantage of it. I mean, if there was one lesson to take away, just don't wait. Don't wait mm -hmm. for a picture. That'd be the biggest thing in my opinion. It's like, you know, a lot of my buddies have been like, yeah, I'm still going to wait for November. If I get some photos, I'll go. I'm like, dude, don't wait for it. If it's going to happen, you need to be there. You know, mm -hmm. I think you could probably at this point make a pretty good guess of where you'd want to be for the time of year. And so, I think that that leads to kind of the next portion of this is, you know, and whoever feels most comfortable answering it. But if you're a guy, you decide to take Zach's advice, you're going to go hunt. Give me your best morning factors and give me your best evening factors. Where are you going to be sitting? I'll piggyback <laughs> off of uh, what you were just saying. I mean, like one thing I would say is, yeah, the, this three day period here, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or whatever it's going to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, if you had no cameras and nowhere to hunt and you just went in the store and bought a bow, I'd be like, go get in a tree right now and sit as many hours as you can, because this is going to be, this should be some crazy, awesome hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, my approach in the morning, of course, is 
this time of year, I, I, I try to get on the edge of the bedding, like I mentioned earlier. You know, those does are coming back. There's not a lot of them in heat, but the bucks are anxious and they're, they're checking them. And so I want to be able to, you know, get in a spot where I can call ideally. So something that sets up well for calling, um, just because a lot of these bucks will respond well to calling. And I'll, I like to do blind calling. So I want to have uh, as much of a bulletproof setup as I can for keeping bucks from getting downwind to me. And then I still focus for the most part in the afternoon on food sources. I mean, we got, we got this full moon coming. Um, afternoon should be good. It's that, that moon's on the rise. It's out early before dark. And uh, these deer are, are still on a feeding pattern. And so, you know, you want to, we talk about hunting the does and green food sources are still pretty strong. Obviously you got to figure out whatever your best food source is, whether that's cut corn, cut beans, standing grain or green. Um, I mean, tonight I could see multiple things and there were deer in all of them, but uh, I try to get where the does are. And I expect these, especially these homebody mature bucks to be there looking for that first available doe. Yeah. One thing on the morning, I mean, even staying just a little bit later than maybe you have been yeah that that midday activity like you kind of mentioned looking for that first available doe that might be one thing to consider um when you say that you saw deer in all those different variations you know you mentioned acorns green and corn did you notice a earlier food source you know that's one thing i hear with plots a lot is that'd be your first activity yeah, and I think it depends on where you're at relative to bedding, too. Like, I mean, I have a green food source and acorns on their walk out from the bedding. And so they get to that before they get to the ag. But, um, I mean, we were laughing at how these deer, they would come out through the acorns. They'd sit there, and you could hear them hoover vacuuming, sniffing the ground, looking for the, you know, the acorns. And at one point, we had six does under us, and you just heard... You know, I was like, man, listen to them go. You know, then they walk over to the little uh, winter wheat and they ate for a little bit and they turned around and they came back. And Rye's like, I don't know how I'm going to make this vlog. It's like every time they walk to the left, I'm going to do a ding. And every time they walk to the right, I'm going to do a ding. And they just kept walking under, <laughs> back and forth. You know? Acorn screen, acorn screen, acorn screen for three hours. And as the sun went down, they started moving out to those ag fields where they're more exposed. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, those, that green stuff's going to dry up here, you know, and the acorns are going to uh, dissipate as well. And so then you're going to, I think, see more of that transition to the cereal. Yeah, if you had yeah, cause one, one of the things ahead. I was going to say with green sources too, because alfalfa is something that's played a big part in my season because I incorporated it down a lot down in Area 52. But I think as of right now on Sunday night, they're forecasting almost 22 degrees, which is potentially going to be our first hard frost of the season, you know, here in the Midwest. like the We've had a few light frosts, but nothing that's been hard, you know, to this point in time where, you know, alfalfa, you know, it's a great protein, you know, it's king, you know, like one of the, at the top of the protein contents. But after those first hard frosts, like it'll start to dissipate, you know, pretty quickly, you know, where that's one of the things where clover, a lot of times it'll stick around a little bit longer too. So just in, anything that's in front of you, you know, like, like Mike said, if you have a cut cornfield or, you know, just take advantage of what's on the properties that you're hunting, you know, type of thing for food sources right now. Cause I even think that, uh, you know, getting back to the original question too, that, you know, most of the time in the mornings, this you're going to be hunting either right on the edge of bedding or transition back to bedding is where you want to be a lot of times this time of the year. 
I would say in the afternoons, if you're hunting on the edge of bedding, you know, type of thing, a transition area, that's fine. But if those guys that want to dive in in the afternoons into a bedding area and think that this time of the year, they're going to have a really good hunt. A lot of times it's going to end up for a really slow hunt. In my opinion, if you just really dive in there in the afternoons, um, but find those field edges and find those, you know, food sources in the afternoon for sure. Yeah, no, I think the thing about when you mentioned right there, diving in in the afternoons into a bedding is it's almost like a zero hero. You know, if you blow yeah. out the bedding on the way in and right. even if you get in clean, as soon as they exit to go to that food, don't be expecting something else to happen as the night progresses. So um, you guys both mentioned in the evenings and even in the mornings, you know, Mike, I know loves to call. Zach, I know you've had a lot of success calling. And Caleb, you know, I've got to spend a lot of hunts where that guy can play a dang musician band with every call if we're sitting in the woods. So if you had <laughs> one call with you at this time of the year, do what are you taking? Uh, is there a progression that you would particularly use? You know, right now, um, the grunt tube would be my main thing. I don't know if I'm going to get super aggressive into the rattling antler type. Maybe, maybe you could. But the grunt tube would be the one that I wouldn't leave home without. Just the ability to make initial contact, um, you know, have that snort wheeze available to me. What are you looking for calling right now? For the, Well, for this Western guy, yeah, it's, you know, grunt tube with a snort wheeze. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be super aggressive. It's going to be, um, I mean, I, I consider it a tending grunt, just that you know, that, that buck's got his nose down and he's scent checking. So, and yep. it's, again, I, I haven't had a, a I've, I always pick the wrong time of the year to go. So luckily I got two full weeks to do it this year, but especially being with this cold front coming in, I mean, that's going to be my go-to. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I have not been carrying my rattling antlers to the tree, but this morning I was like, you know what? I need to get them. And I, I've had a lot of success rattling in bucks the end of October um, I mean, I, I, there's a lot of different situations here. It's very different blind calling versus calling to a deer. I mean, if I see a buck, you know, walking around, I always start light grunts, the, the softest volume that'll get his attention. And, you know, I, you're reading body language, you got an aggressive deer, you, you either can see it, or, you know, or you know it from history. Um, a little snort wheeze, man, it, it has worked for me so many times to get a buck to just turn and come right to me. Um, I rarely rattle at a buck. Um, I just, you know, if I see a buck that I want, I'm usually talking to them just with the grunt tube and the snort wheeze as opposed to just start banging antlers. But if I see them moving off, you know, whatever, I might try it. Blind calling, particularly later in the morning. So if I blind call early in the morning, it's, it's a couple grunts, you know, and, and not a whole lot more just like, Hey, there's deer in the area you know, see if someone's, if a buck's kind of cruising by a couple hundred yards off or hundred yards off and here's a grunt that I can't see because of foliage, maybe he'll come check me out later in the morning. You know, I try to paint a picture of maybe a buck fight or something like that. So I'll start off with some grunting. Then maybe if nothing happens, I'll do grunt with a snort wheeze. And then all of a sudden I might go ahead and bang them together. Um, and I've had success with that where I'm on the edge of the bedding and there might be a buck bedded in there. It's, it's 10 a.m. And he'll get up and be like, what's going on over there? And, and come charging in. Mm -hmm. That's that's And I kind of, that's my general approach to calling at all times of year. But man, I I love this last week of October for it. It just seems to work so yeah. well. Yeah. And I would say for the Radlin antlers from here on out, 
it's good to just have them with you, you know, like from here on yeah. out, like whether or not you use them or not, when you're going to the tree at this point in time or blind or whatever you're doing, having them in wherever you're at and set up, having them with you, because I think it more like right now is like, that's the last club that I'm grabbing out of the bag. If it's a situation where, Hey, he's moving off, maybe he's into cover, you know, type of thing. Can't see me. I want to draw his attention. But the big thing is too, is that we didn't really talk about is also, it, I know it's going to have some 20, maybe some 20 mile an hour winds this weekend too. Like that can affect, you know, the audible level, you know, as far as you may want to use that grunt tube, you know, type of thing. And he's 200 yards away and he just physically cannot hear it, you know, type of thing too. Where having right. that rattling antlers, you know, sitting there in the bag ready to go for you, that could be the ticket on whether or not you go home with that buck that night, you know, type of thing, just getting his attention. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that's a great point. I mean, great point. Yeah. Shameless plug, you know, that's one thing that I've been extremely pleased with, with the new Woodhaven Midwest Grunter. I don't know They're if loud. you guys have tried to blow it out, but it's very, very hard to do, you know, to the point yeah. where, you know, all grunt tubes are not made equal from that standpoint. And if there's one thing that seems to be the comparative line, it's how loud you can get with them. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I have had the that- grunt. I've had the grunt calls that turn into a duck call you know, type of thing too. Like if you, if you, if if you get really hard into them, you know, type of thing that it turns into a really good mallard call, you know, if you get into them pretty good. So yeah. Um, Those are the ones I give my buddies to try. (laughs) Um, I think that, you know, for me watching, you know, as an editor, one thing that might not get thought about enough when it comes to calling is how often these deer actually do hear you. You know, that, especially when like the situation you painted, Mike, where you can see this deer, you're calling to him. You know, I can think of so many times where Hunter calls, they're like, man, didn't hear it, but the ears perk back. You know, they, they very clearly heard you. So that is just one thing. Like, I think there's a really solid approach there with starting as quiet as possible and then making your way up because, you know, if you start to give them too much and, you know, you might, not visibly see the body language it's like a full turnaround i think oftentimes if they hear you they'll eventually come check you out and that's you know through editing hunts over the years i feel like most of what i think i know i've got to just watch you know it's like doing a, a seminar every single time so just something else to keep in mind when calling um, it's a great point it's a great point i mean a lot of times if we have a cameraman we're like hey you got eyes on them you know, I'm, I'm going to call behind mm-hmm. me. I'm not looking. I often, you know, I got my binos on the deer and I've got the grunt tube in my mouth and I'm looking for that ear to turn or something that's very subtle because a lot of those bucks, they're sitting there doing whatever and they hear it. It might take them a while to actually say, okay, let me go check it out. And they turn and they walk and you keep tooting your horn, you know, <laughs> you can hurt yourself more than you help you. So the yep. second I get any sort of inkling of a reaction, you just stop and just watch them for a minute, see what they're doing. It's, yep. it's a great point to make. I think it can save you. That yeah. tail flicker is a good indicator as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, so along with that, that – Go ahead. Oh, sorry, Zach. Go ahead. I was just going to say along uh, with that, like, you know, Mike, when you're hunting that, that marshy area where it's flat, are you running a decoy? Are you, do you have a 3D body out there? That way they've got something visual to check because you may not have a lot of terrain to, you know, roll to pitch. You know, you're not sitting on the yeah. edge of a bank that you can pitch down to a, another level. Right. Yeah. And I, I do sometimes. I don't do it a ton. Um, 
I do have a lot of just visual barrier, you know, and so I try to, I'm very mindful of calling if a deer is close enough to see where I'm at, you know, and that's going to be really soft mouth snort wheeze or something like just real soft. But, you know, our, if you, if I'm up in a tree, I can see tons because it's this grassy marshland, but you get down on the ground and they do have a lot of trouble seeing, you know, mm-hmm. so it's different than say some short sagebrush or some like, Canary. Yeah. I mean, we've got, we got a lot of stuff where there's visual barriers. So I don't always run a decoy. I've, I've, I, uh, I've had success with them. I, I've, I hate scaring does, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I just hate when a doe comes in and starts fighting at the decoy. I'm like, ah, you know, yeah. so I, I get more excited to use them later in November. Um, and I, I feel like I have enough visual barrier to the deer that I, and I, I pick and choose when I call to make sure they're not looking over. Hey, there's no deer there. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. I remember what would it have been my 2018 is when your guys' farm at that point had flooded Yeah, and everything was matted down. You know, that was, yep. there was a big change in the amount of bucket. I mean, the deer activity for sure. Cause the cover was gone, but just the general buck activity, you know, it's yeah. like a, it's a jungle, you know, when you walk in, you really can't see in a lot of places, 15 yards. And, you know, as you watch your guys' encounters, it's one thing to keep in mind. Like, I think that's why calling is so effective for you is because like, if they hear it, they have to make some sort of commitment to get to you. Yeah. And there's so many deadfalls and things in their way. You know, you hear Owen talk about all the time that, you know, deer are creatures, not laziness, but they're, they're conservative. And so where your stands are seem to be in, the perfect spots to catch them in those paths of least resistance, you know, with all the different variables factored in. So, um, that's a great point you made there, Evan, because like, I think a lot of people when they make comments like, well, this doesn't work where I'm at. Well, maybe it doesn't work because there's different variables at play there, you know, and you have to go try to find that part in your farm at the property that you're hunting that maybe you can execute, you know, visual barriers, topography, terrain change, et cetera. Well, and Mike made a good point too. Like, depending on what your doe population is, it may not be a good place to use a decoy in general. Does in general do not respond well to a decoy. Yep. Yeah. Just, I mean, they see it, either there's no movement or that buck's not turning to come over and check me out. You shouldn't be there because this is the direction I'm going and we're always the first ones in the field or the first ones on this course of movement. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It matters. And there's a lot lot of factors that go in with a decoy, you know, like, um, you know, again, I got to learn a lot. (laughs) What do you say? How far you got to carry it. That's one. Exactly. Exactly. I already have to carry Ryan. I mean, Jesus, how am I supposed to carry (laughs) it? Evan, so, you know, talking about decoys, if you were going to use them, I'd be curious to know what your most important variables to consider are, like, for example, decoy placement. I think whether you're using a buck or whether you're using a doe, how you position them can make or break your hunt. You know, one of the things that I got to visualize and see last year is you always want to have your buck pointed quartering towards you mm-hmm. on the upwind side of you so that the downwind location of the buck, because if you have a buck decoy and a buck's going to go, they're always going to come in on the downwind side. Of the circle. Yep, and absolutely. so, you know, Factoring that in with your stand locations, not putting them at 20 yards where if the deer is going to come, he's going to come downwind of you. You want him to go downwind of that decoy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it's i mean i i killed my first deer over a decoy last year it was the most fun hunt i've ever had it's just watching that behavioral change and granted again in the midwest i'm after going to georgia and hunting it's a very different animal right like mm-hmm. i don't know if i was going to have that same experience in the south but here in the midwest it's a very viable option but yep. and probably make mistakes with it too oh and i've made every single one in the in the book and probably rewritten some of them but you know <laughs> some of the best encounters i've had too have been over a decoy um two years ago we were sitting on a drilled wheat field and we were in a blind on the edge of the on the edge of a known bedding area and 300 yards to the north we had one buck that we were glassing all morning and he pushed five different bucks off of that field and so we went back in that evening took a decoy with us hoping he would still be in that area and sure enough we put we put the decoy at 13 yards I was like, I don't want to get it too far out there and let's just play around with it. Let's see how close we can get something if he reacts to it. He came out of the timber at 45 yards and he circled 60 yards upwind of that decoy to come all the way around. And he was five yards from the blind in between us and that decoy. Mm -hmm. Could care less that we were there. He was fixed on that sucker. Yeah. That's yeah, how you I hope know. it always works. Yeah. And then you hope your your <laughs> buddy makes the shot. But yeah. <laughs> that buck sounds like a good uh, that buck lift. So, sounds like Josh, a good opportunity for its oh. uh, recurve. <laughs> well we could have we could have poked him with the stabilizer. Yeah. <laughs> Josh, you alluded a little bit to decoy placement. I you know, and I've always learned and been taught and put into practice. Bucks tend to approach bucks from the front, yep. you know, and then, and doe decoys from the back, mm-hmm, you know, exactly. and so when you're thinking about how buck is going to approach, which way your wind's coming from, where you want to give room between you and the blind, you know, that ang- depends on, you know, how you angle, how you place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's all, that was all very good things to start to mention for people that are maybe thinking about using it for the first time. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, if you think about like the doe decoy, you know, they're going to come from behind. But what we noticed last year was there's a lot smaller gap of like, they're not going to come circling downwind and then go, they're just going to come from behind. So I might place my doe decoy in bow range, whereas my buck mm-hmm. decoy, I might place it 40 yards, 35 yards, hoping for the 30, 25 yard shot. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. That's something that yeah. we observed. And obviously what kind of field you're putting them in or whether it's the timber, there's a lot of different variables, but um either way you know a lot of things covered tonight that in this pre-rut time frame hopefully would be valuable information if you're looking to go and hunt um you know one thing that mike and i keep talking about and really appreciate if you guys would take the time to is drop any questions below in this podcast comment section of what you guys want us to comment or talk about uh, we'll definitely make a social post as we get going here just to try and get some more eyeballs on that question seeking. But either way, very excited to see how this next few days unfold. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum here, but could not have better weather for a time of year where it's already going to be good despite the weather. Um, you know, we do have those first available does, but I would take this time over November 7th all day. Because really, you've got the Bucks attitude where you want it, 
make time to go and hunt and best of luck if you get the chance to so to end things evan maybe you don't have anything to say maybe you do it's uh i always have stuff to say you can ask anybody who knows me well <laughs> 2023 I, I can talk we're, we're yeah, approaching the month of november does yes, hoyt have any christmas presents for the viewers Ab- absolutely we always have christmas presents yeah be looking guys um what can you tell we've 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 got a honestly it's it's the most exciting lineup um not only that i've i've gotten to be a part of in my eight years at hoyt um but honestly in my what 17 years in the industry now um you know we made some big leaps and bounds in 2008 2009 2010 timeframes um with changes to the line some things that we were bringing into the industry um in my opinion, this far surpasses anything that we've done in the past. Um, got a lot of new changes coming, um, a lot of new cool technologies and just, you know, things that you would look at and go, okay, that's a little tweak. And then you start playing and, and learning the setup and, and figuring out what that quote unquote little change did. Mm-hmm. And it yielded very, very big outcomes for us. That's awesome. Yeah, I know the whole team is excited to get the bow in hand. I've gotten the chance to shoot a few arrows through one of the new bows, and you you hit it on the head. I mean, it's almost to the point where you're like, this is too good. Something's weird here. Mm. But I won't give away too many details. You know, out of the box, have been shooting very well with it, and I'm very excited to get the rest of the team's feedback here. And more importantly – if you are in the market for a new bow, go visit your local retailer. Once those bows drop, um, any sort of general time frame of when folks can expect to see those showing up on the shelves? Very soon. Good it's, enough. It's almost no, it's almost November. So yeah, no <laughs> November is the time. Um, you know, we obviously have a have a set marketing plan and, and teasers and everything ready to go. So just yep. uh, stay up to date with Hoyt social media and. We got some teasers coming. Perfect. Well, we love to hear awesome. it. Thank you so much for taking the time tonight, man. We appreciate no, that pleasure, very guys. much. And all you guys, hope you enjoyed this podcast. Hope you enjoyed the after hours series so far this season. And hopefully all the tactics that we talked about get put into action and we have some big buck stories for you upcoming. So best of luck out there. We hope you have an incredible season and thank you so much for the support.